0: I have you turn tonight to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12. It's been a joy just to be around so many pastors this week. I've met new pastors and friends, uh, made acquaintances and contacts and just to hear how God is working in different parts of the country. This has been a crazy 18 months. Who'd have ever thought that we would all be televangelists. Like one Sunday, you were preaching against Facebook. The next Sunday, you were preaching on Facebook. You know it, too. Hashtag truth bomb, that's what I'll say. You were online asking for offerings. You were Kenneth Copeland, like that. And your offerings are up and you haven't gone back to passing a plate. Somebody help me right now. We're going to preach the truth tonight. It's been a crazy 18 months. I mean, we are just in the middle of like, nobody really knows what's going on. Um, I, I, live in Colorado and it's much like, uh, it's not, I don't think as, as strict as what California would be on all the regulations and mandates. And we're grateful for that. But I mean, it's just been a crazy 18 months and all of us have had to make really quick decisions and really, uh, just have to rely on the Lord. And that's been good. You know, so oftentimes we get in our offices and we plan and we scheme and we, we come up with all kinds of things. And then God just says, well, I'm going to change that because you did all of that, but you didn't really talk to me about it. And that was a strategy, but uh, without me, you can do nothing. And we needed the Lord in a great way and we need him in a greater way going forward. And we, we're going to need each other. And this is a time where God's people are going to need to pray for one another and support each other. And pastors are going to need to call and check on each other every so often and just drop a note and let them know you love them and, uh, and pray for one another. And these are days where we're going to have to hold each other's hands up and just strengthen people in the Lord because these are exciting days. And, uh, what's in front of us is so exciting. Somebody said, what is the world coming to? It's coming to Jesus. (laughs) It's on a crash course with Jesus and he's coming soon. And we've got work to do. Amen. Amen. And so we're going to look tonight at uh, a wonderful passage of scripture, Matthew chapter 12. And look with me, please. In verse number 14, Jesus is preaching and healing, and uh, he's doing all kinds of miracles, and his disciples have just walked through the corn, and like good Baptist disciples, they took somebody else's corn and ate it. (laughs) And the Pharisees called him out on it, and Jesus has just defended them, and, and now the Bible says in verse number 14, then the Pharisees went out and held a council against him, how they might destroy him but when jesus knew it and he always does by the way that burden that you came here with he knows about it that thing that you have been fearful about he knows it that weakness that's in your life that you've been trying to overcome he knows about it and he has strength for it but he knew it jesus knew it he withdrew himself from thence and a great multitude followed him And he healed them all and charged them that they should not make him known, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah, the prophet, saying, behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved in whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him and he shall show judgment to the Gentiles. He shall not strive nor cry, neither shall any man hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed. Shall he not break a smoking flax? Shall he not quench till he send forth judgment unto victory? And in his name shall the Gentiles trust 700 years before Jesus was born. Isaiah wrote those words about the Lord Jesus. And Jesus came just as Isaiah said he would come. He came born of a virgin. He came born in a manger, in a very humble birth, the Lord of glory in the hay, God Almighty in the body of a baby, just like Isaiah said. And Jesus grew. And he had a ministry, just like Isaiah said he would have a ministry. In fact, Jesus died, like Isaiah said he would, despised and rejected. There's no question that Jesus is God in the flesh. The prophesied one, the Messiah, the anointed, the Savior. And he came to Israel to do exactly what the prophet said he would do. He came to his own, to offer them the kingdom, to be their great and glorious king. To sit on the throne of his father David. To bless the land of their father Abraham. To bring blessing to Israel and by Israel through the whole world. And Jesus, this great Messiah, was in their midst. And here he was, the king of glory. Humbled. A man. Just like you and just like me. And his own received him not. And Jesus with all that he was accomplishing in the world, healing and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, building a church, all that Jesus was doing, Jesus never ceased to be a personal soul winner. He came with a mission to save the whole world. He'd been prophesied for thousands of years. He was foreordained before the foundation of the world. God in the flesh, he came with such a massive ministry to accomplish, and yet he had time for a woman at the well. He had time to walk and talk to a man in a tree. He had time to sit with little children. Jesus was a personal soul winner. There was a young man, 26 years old, and he was a drunk. He had three children at home. He came from a very difficult background. He was married to a woman who was from a far more difficult background. She never knew a real dad. She lived in poverty. They met each other when they were 16 and 18 and were married. And now about eight years of marriage gone by three children and him drinking. They were on the brink of a divorce. She had filed for a divorce. She had moved in with a sister, took the kids with her. He worked at the Chevrolet garage in Deer Lodge, Montana. There was a man by the name of Bill Wickham who had come to Deer Lodge, Montana to start a church. And like many of you, he had to work as a grease monkey, had a second job while he was building this church. He was also repairing vehicles, but he met this man and he began to give the gospel to this 26 year old alcoholic and uh in his montana cowboy way this alcoholic would tear up the gospel tracks throw him in his face call him all kinds of names cuss him out and yet bill wickham just persisted he'd come into work give him a gospel track talk to him for a little bit this 26 year old man would throw that track back in his face cuss him call him preacher call him deacon call him other things we can't say And while that young man and his wife were separated, she had a baby. It was their fourth baby. Something was off with this little one. It was 1965 and there were no ultrasounds. There was no way to know, but this baby was born with a hole in his heart. In our day, they could have gone in while she was still pregnant and fixed the the heart. But in those days they couldn't do that and this baby was born and he lived for a month and a half and then he died. This little couple had to drive to the cemetery and dig the grave and put that little baby in the grave with a marriage that was a holding by a thread. He came to work the next day after burying their little baby Something was different. Bill Wickham met him at the door with tears in his eyes. And he said, Dean, I didn't know what you were going through. I didn't know that you and your wife were separated and that your baby just died. I've been up last night praying for you. And I'd sure like to share this with you. I think it would help you. And gave him a gospel track. What must I do to be saved by Dr. John Rice? My dad took that track, put it on his workbench. Later in that afternoon when it was my dad's lunch break, he was doing some paperwork. He saw that track, he picked it up, he began to read it. God began to stir his heart, conviction. He thought, well, I need to ask this guy some more questions about this sin thing and going to hell thing but I don't want him to know that I'm interested. (laughs) So he went to Bill Wickham and he said, uh, Hey, I got some questions about this. And Bill said, I'll tell you what, let me, let me drive you home after work tonight. My dad said, okay. And Bill put him in his car that night after work and drove him home. They're sitting in the driveway. Bill Wickham was leading my dad to Christ. My dad said, Hey, there's my There's my wife. My mom was walking up the sidewalk. She was coming to the house to get some clothes. Bill Wickham had never met my mom. He jumped out of the car and the Holy Spirit gave him the right thing to say. He said to her, he said, are you Mrs. Miller? And she said, yes. He said, I work with your husband. I'm a pastor. And I was just sharing with your husband how you could see your baby again one day. Would you like to know that? She said more than anything. Bill Wickham took my mom and dad in the house, took an old Bible and opened it up. For the first time in months, they put their hands together over the word of God and mom and dad trusted Jesus Christ. 63 years later, this February, my mom went to be with the Lord and she's in heaven tonight. Beholding our God She's in heaven tonight with your mom and your wife And they're there tonight praising the Lord because there was a man Who was a personal soul winner And I want to tell you tonight pastor to pastor Christian to Christian That it's not just enough to declare the gospel in the pulpit We must declare the gospel in the pulpit. But we have to get out into the highways and the hedges and we have to go meet people where they are and their brokenness and their drunkenness and their addictions and their divorces. And we have to sit with them at the well and we have to come under those trees and we have to meet those people and give them the gospel. Jesus was a personal soul winner. And Jesus is going to teach us some things as our example tonight, as we follow in his steps, as we leave this conference tonight and we get back on our on our airplanes and on our vehicles and we go home and there won't be these crowds and these choirs and there won't be friends that are just like us. And we've got to go back to the ministry that God has called us and the city that God has called us in the days that are alone. I want to tell you tonight that Jesus has given us a pattern on how to be a personal soul winner. First of all, I want you to see something in verse 14. Look what the Bible says. Then the Pharisees went out and held counsel against him how they might destroy him. Isn't that wonderful? That's encouraging. That's how it starts. Jesus shows us that the life of the soul winner is always a life of conflict. There's always a conflict in the life of a soul winner Because you and I Who know the Lord Jesus Christ Who are following in His steps We are walking against the grain of the world and the culture And we're walking in the opposite direction of this world We have a different beginning We're going a different direction We have a different destination And we're trying to compel them to go with us To turn and to go with us And so we're walking in the wrong direction In this world And there's going to be conflict. The life of a soul winner is always a life of conflict. But didn't Jesus tell us that? He said, in the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. Have you ever noticed that Jesus always had the most odd times to say be of good cheer? (laughs) Hey, you're going to have a life full of hardship. Be happy about that. I mean the disciples are in the middle of a storm they're rowing for their lives and let me just tell you when Peter James and John are scared on the Sea of Galilee when the fishermen are scared it's time to be scared and then Jesus in that moment decides to walk up like a spirit like a ghost on the water so now they're going to die and the spirits are coming and he says be of good cheer but aren't you glad that Jesus knows how to meet you in your trouble and in your storm? I think that's what he said to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when he walked in the fire. Hey, be of good cheer. Yeah. Shadrach, you got the Hershey's? Meshach, you got the graham crackers? We're going to just sit here and have some s'mores and let's talk about this thing. Hey, let me tell you tonight, it's a life of conflict. Let's just mark it down, this thing that we do is against the grain in this world. And it's a life of conflict. They didn't like our leader. They put him on a cross. They didn't like his followers. They martyred them. They haven't liked us. Listen, uh, today, William Tyndale in history today was strangled and burned at the stake for translating the Bible into English. They haven't liked our forefathers. They don't like us. We don't need to try to win a popularity contest. We just need to win them to Christ. And declare the gospel. It's a life of conflict. You see, I think one of the things that I had to come to grips with in my own life is that to follow Christ, there's an automatic reproach. And we have to be okay with that. We have to understand that there is a reproach. Hebrews 11 and verse 26, about Moses, he esteemed the reproach of Christ greater than the riches of the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect under the recompense of the reward. Let me tell you today, there is a reproach that comes with being a follower of Christ. There is a reproach that comes with being a Christian who is called out. And I want to tell you, we in America have tried to reshape the whole church so that it's palatable and likable in the culture. And the problem is, a church that is accepted well with the culture is usually not accepted well with Christ. There was a name for a church like that. It was the church of the Laodiceans. And they had everything that the world's treasure could give them, and yet Christ was outside knocking to get in. There is a reproach that comes with that. The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 13, Let us go forth. Unto him without the camp Bearing his reproach I want to tell you that as a pastor When I sit down next to somebody on the airplane And we begin a conversation And they ask me what do you do And I say I'm a pastor It ruins their flight One of my men asked me to go to a golf tournament with him, and he was, he was sponsoring a golf tournament. And so he put us out there. Well, he couldn't go, so he put me in with another threesome. And so when I got out there, we're all shaking hands. And they're, they're, you know if you've ever been to a golf tournament, they're buying mulligans and they're buying Michelobes or whatever else they're buying and putting them in the cart. And they said, so what do you do? And I said, I'm a pastor. It ruined their golf game. I was the best golfer that day. There is just a certain reproach that comes with following Christ. In fact, I, I want you to mark your place in your Bible right here in Matthew 12 and run with me, please, quickly to the book of 2 Timothy, chapter 1. Timothy was a young man who had an issue with fear. Paul had tried to help him with that through 1 Timothy. He had a nervous stomach. He was trying to exercise it off. Paul was trying to help him. Like bodily exercise profits, but it profits little. You need to drink some wine for your stomach's sake. You need, you need to help yourself. You got yourself worked up, Timothy. And when he gets to 2 Timothy, Paul knows the days are short. I'm leaving, and Timothy's got to continue in this work. And so Paul somewhat upbraids Timothy in verse number 6. He says, Wherefore, I put thee all in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God, which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. Paul's writing this from prison. And Timothy has let fear Paul's arrest and the shame that comes from that perhaps shut his mouth. He's not witnessing and preaching with the boldness that he should have. And God, uh, through the Apostle Paul, is warning Timothy, Timothy, God didn't give you that spirit of fear. He gave you power and love and a sound mind and I want you to stir up that gift that is in you. I want you to remember and don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. He says in verse number 8, He said, nor of me his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God who hath saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. But it is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, whereof I am appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles, for the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. Why aren't you ashamed, Paul? For I know Him whom I have believed in. And I'm persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. Listen, if Jesus can be stripped and mocked and spat upon and he can be rejected and despised and bear the curse of sin for every man, we can bear his reproach today. We don't have to be the coolest guy in town. We don't have to be the most popular people in town. But we ought to be the most caring, Christ-like, loving people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul said it very clearly in Romans 1 and verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of of God and salvation to all them that believe. I believe today, if you really believe that the answer of this world is the gospel, then we must not be ashamed to declare it. We must not be ashamed in one-on-one conversations to declare it. We must not be ashamed to talk to the man on the street and and the person in their home, the one on the bus, the one on the plane, the barber chair, the waitress. We must share the gospel of Jesus Christ. But understand, there's conflict with that. Let me just say that you're going back to a hostile world. You're leaving this conference, and it's been wonderful to be with friends. I've needed this encouragement this week. But we're going back into our. Our battlegrounds. We're going back into a hostile place. But go back and give. Give the gospel. I want to show you secondly in verse number 18. Jesus said. Of Isaiah's. Prophecy he said. Behold my servant. This is what. God the Father said of Jesus, behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved in whom my soul is well pleased. Notice if you will, God called the Lord Jesus my servant. The father had chosen the son for a specific task. The life of the soul winner is a life of conflict, but I want you to understand with Jesus, it's a life of commission. God had ordained the Lord Jesus Christ from the foundation of the earth to come into this world and to save sinners. Why did Jesus come? Well, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus has come into the world to save sinners. Sinners. That's why he came. He had the commission. Jesus was the great soul winner uh, because he was commissioned by his father to do it. God had chosen him to preach the gospel. You say, well, then what is soul winning? What was he commissioned to do? Listen, I heard one some, somebody say, and I jotted it down, that soul winning is the sob of God. It is the anguished cry of Jesus as he weeps over a doomed city. It is the cry of Paul, I wish myself a curse from Christ for my brethren's sake. It is the ringing plea of Moses, forgive their sin and if, and, if, and if not, blot me out of this book which thou hast written. Again, it's the cry and the anguish of John Knox who said, give me Scotland or I die. It is the sob of a mother in the night as she weeps over a lost child. It's the secret of a great church. It's the secret of a great preacher. It's the secret of a great Christian. We must win souls for Christ. R.A. Torrey said, no man has a right to call himself a follower of Jesus if he is not a soul winner. Jesus said it very clearly. Did he not follow me and I will make you fishers of men? Can a man who does not win souls claim to be following Christ? Andrew Murray said, there are two classes of Christians, soul winners and backsliders. John Wesley said, you only have one, you only have one business and that is the salvation of souls. David Brainerd said, I cared not how I lived or what hardships I endured, if only I might gain souls for Christ. But that's not been the attitude of the church today. I mean, listen, the early church did so much with so little. And we're doing so little with so much. We have planes and internet and we've got phones and we've got, we've got Zoom and FaceTime and we've got the means of media to get the world around the globe. We're preaching to people all over the world tonight. And yet it seems tonight that the church has lost its zeal and its burden for souls. When's was the last time you drove around your city and wept? for the souls we have the vantage point at horse tooth reservoir along the front range of the mountains where we can drive up and we can look over the the valley at night and I'll drive up there in the evenings and I'll look at the lights of that city spreading to the south to Denver behind every light is a broken heart Behind every light is a family in darkness. When's the last time we've wept over your city? When's the last time we prayed, God, give us this city for Christ? We're commissioned. You say, listen, was Jesus commissioned? Yes, he was, and so were you. Jesus looks at you and says, as my Father sent me, so send I you. Jesus said in John 15, you've not chosen me, I've chosen you, and I've ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit. We've been chosen to win souls for Christ. We've been commissioned to win souls for Christ. We must be about our Father's business. We must be about our Father's business. We must needs go through Samaria. We must needs go to that well. We must go shake the trees. We've got to go find the Zacchaeuses. We need to go find those little boys with that lunch who need Jesus. Let's go to the highways and hedges and compel them to come in soul winning is every Christian's business a Christian who refuses to win souls is like a doctor who refuses to do surgery it's like a pilot who refuses to fly a plane when Jesus said to you Come unto me you came and when he says go you should go Look with me, please, in verse number 18. We see Jesus living a life of conflict. We see him living a life of commission. But we see Jesus in verse number 18. His father said, Behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved, in whom my soul is well pleased. Look at the commendation. The life of the soul winner is a life of commendation. God says, I am pleased with that. Hey, do you want to know how you can get the smile of God on your ministry? Win souls to Christ. You want the smile of God on your life? Win souls to Christ. Jesus went around doing good, the Bible says. In John 8 and verse 29, he said, I always do those things that please him. And what was Jesus doing? Winning souls. And it pleased the Father. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. It pleases the heart of God. There is rejoicing in heaven over one sinner that repenteth. It pleases God when people are saved. Now, can I just tell you this very clearly? If you don't please God, it doesn't matter who you please. And I want to say also, if you don't please God, it doesn't matter who you please. We have one call in this world, and that is to to do the will of God. We've been commissioned to do the will of God. Evangelism is not just a humanitarian task, it's a command. It's a command. And I want to say that a Christian who does not win souls is in danger of high treason against heaven. We are in rebellion to our commander in chief. For Jesus has called us to win souls. You say, but preacher, this is a hostile day. My area is a tough area. Yeah, are there sinners there? It's a tough area it's a very tough area I mean listen there are three worlds there's the world that God made and it's beautiful there's the world that God loves they're sitting around you tonight you've never met a person that God didn't love God so loved that world but there is a world that hates God there is a system today that is opposed to all that is God and we've been called to go and preach the gospel to them we've been commissioned you say well it's tough Well, I like what it says in verse 18. God said, this is my servant whom I've chosen. I've commissioned him in whom my soul is well pleased. I've commended him. But watch this. I will put my spirit upon him. Let me tell you what Jesus had in his life of conflict. Jesus had a companion. He had a companion. God put his Holy Spirit on him. You know what grieves my heart today? We don't hear much preaching about being filled with the spirit of God. I mean, we hear a lot of ideas. We get filled with ideas and plans and programs and schemes and we can all come together. and We we can all discuss cultural trends and cultural things and have best. And by the way, there's some importance in all of that. But what good is it if we are not spirit filled people? Be filled with the Spirit of God. Listen, when you got saved, He came to dwell within you. You're indwelt by the Spirit. But you've been commanded to be filled with the Spirit of God. Have you ever had somebody just knock on your door or ring your doorbell when you weren't expecting it? You know, it used to be in the old days, we loved that. When people came to the door, when I was a kid, we'd all make a scramble to the door to see who could open it first. Not today. Somebody rings your doorbell, everybody's down. Get down. Susan, shut it. Don't make a move. We're getting our phones out. Who is it? Did you invite anybody? Everybody's army crawling around. Then you realize it's a friend. You're like, what are they doing here? You know that I'm telling the truth. Then you go to the door, hey, how you doing? Everybody's in the house putting stuff away. They're cramming stuff under the couch. The dog's under the cushions. You locked one of your kids in the bathroom when you're throwing the laundry in there. You're like, hey, come on in. Make yourself at home. You put them in the living room. Would you like some coffee? Yeah. You go to make them some coffee. Could you imagine going to make some coffee when you come back? They're not there. Hey Bill, where are you? Bill, coffee's ready, and you start walking through the house, pretty soon you hear some rumbling upstairs, you go up there, he's in your bedroom, just kinda of going through stuff. i hey Bill, what are you doing in here? Ah, oh, you said make myself at home, I'm looking for something comfy to wear. No, 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 I didn't mean that. I mean, make yourself at home on that one cushion on the couch. And this is what I'm afraid that we've done when we got saved. We said, the Holy Spirit, come in. Sit right here on the couch. When it's time for church, we'll pick you up. But you can't go to the entertainment room. You can't go to my friend room. And we wonder why we're Powerless. And why there's no joy and love and zeal and there's no heart of God in our preaching. Why? We're not filled with the Spirit of God. You're only filled. Listen, He is not a liquid and you some vessel. He is a person and you're a temple. And until that person has a key to every closet and has access to every corner, you're not filled with the Spirit of God. Are you filled with the Spirit of God tonight? I'm talking about where you sit right now in this chair from the top of your head to the bottom of your foot. Are you full of the Spirit of God? If not, why not? What door doesn't he have a key to? See, Jesus was filled with the Spirit of God. We need some old-fashioned filling again. We need some surrender and some brokenness and some yieldedness. And we need to go to God and say, oh God, fill me with your spirit. The job is too big, the task is too hard. The enemies are too great. Without you, I can do nothing. I need the fullness of the power of God. The Bible says here that Jesus was not only full of the spirit, but he was anointed with the spirit. You say, what's anointing? Anointing is that special touch for a specific task. Don't stand to preach without the anointing of God. Don't stand to sing without the anointing of God. You need the anointing to play an instrument. You need the anointing to teach a class. You need the anointing when you go out soul winning, you need the anointing of God, that special touch of God for that specific task where God gives you his pleasure and his, his ability and his anointing in your life. That's what he was telling the apostles. See, Jesus had just breathed on the apostles and said, receive you the Holy Ghost. But then he said later, after that, the Holy Ghost shall come upon you. Anointing. You shall be witnesses unto me. And what happened that day when when Jesus went up? Jesus went up and the Spirit came down. And let me tell you what happened. When Jesus went up and the Spirit came down, the church went out. And when Jesus went up and the Spirit came down and the church went out, the sinners came in and people got saved and the place was filled Amen. because of the fullness of the Spirit of God. First John 2, 27, but the anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you. And ye need not that any man teach you, but as that same anointing teacheth you all things and as truth, it is no lie. Listen, he said, you shall abide in him. Listen, we have the anointing of God. He's given it to us. Let's live in it. Walk in the Spirit. Be led of the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. You have a companion. You're not going home alone. You're going home with the Spirit of God. I love it in Mark chapter 16 when Jesus went up. The Bible says, and the disciples went out, the Lord working with them. Aren't you glad to be co-laborers with Jesus? We have a companion tonight. But I believe all of us need to hear this because the life of a soul winner is a life of conflict and because God has commissioned us to do it because it is, it brings God's commendation on our ministry and it's the thing that pleases God. So he's given us that companion, that power that goes with us. But you listen very carefully. We better have this. When we're dealing with a, when we're dealing with a soul winners life and winning people with the gospel, there is an element, that we better have that Jesus had. Look at it with me in verse number 19. The prophecy of Jesus said that he shall not strive nor cry neither shall any man hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed shall he not break and smoking flax shall he not quench till he send forth judgment unto victory. Jesus had compassion. Jesus had compassion. You know what, every one of us, listen, it's easy to get hardened in this world. When you're dealing with marriage counseling and you're dealing with church problems and you're dealing with all the political things that are going on in the air around us, it's easy to get around uh, what's all happening in the world and begin to develop a hard heart and an angry spirit and a bad attitude. And we start getting involved in all the politics and we start seeing everything that's going on. And as Christians, if we're not careful, we have an angry spirit and a hard heart. And all we ever talk about is masks and vaccines and government lockdowns and mandates and Nancy Pelosi and Barack Obama and President Biden. And we, we just, we're, we're living in that Fox News and CNN realm. And that's not where we're to live. And what we've forgotten is this. You and I know how this all ends. Why in the world are we so confused? See, people tell me, man, the world is confused. No, it's not. It's lost. The world's not confused. The church is confused. And God is not the author of confusion. We're confused today. The world is in darkness and it is lost and it is gone. and It is walking in its deceived heart on its way to hell. And the church is angry about it. <laughs> if, I, if, I, if I get one more email about the vaccine being the mark of the beast... Pastor, is this the mark of the beast? I said, well, is the beast giving him? Because no. it's really his, it's his mark. So if the beast isn't there doing it, it's probably not. But do you think it could be the forerunner of it? Maybe. Might be. Well, what do we do, wind souls? But I mean, but but, but don't you think the Antichrist... I'm not looking for the Antichrist. I'm looking for the Christ. Why are we all so worried? Did we not know it was all going to end? I mean, did we really think that we were all going to ride to heaven in the GOP? I mean, we as American Christians all thought that we're just going to ride to heaven in this great grand glory and just like uh, everybody just gonna thank us Americans for being there are we gonna go to heaven on flowery beds of ease while well, others fought to win the prize and sail through bloody seas I mean who do we think we are who do we think we are that we can read the book of first Peter and not identify with suffering Do you know that most of the New Testament, many of us don't even comprehend. We don't understand what it is to go to jail and sing about it. I mean, come on. Did we not know this was going to happen? I mean, we've been saying for years, we read the back of the book and we win. Yeah, but did you see all the things that led up to that? I don't know that you were paying attention when you were reading the back of the book. It gets a little hairy in there. I mean, there is a point we're actually cheering for the hero to come. And he's not coming in a white house. He's riding a white horse. And he's not going to be president. He's king of kings and lord of lords. And he's not coming to take sides. He's coming to take over. Why are we so worried about it? You shall have tribulation. Be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Go tell them the good news. That's what the Bible says. Hey, if you think you get so worked up and so angry knowing the back of the book, how do you think your lost next door neighbor feels right now? You can make fun of them for wearing a mask in their car by themselves, but they're scared of death. Hey, listen, if half the people that read your Facebook post were lost, they'll never get saved. I mean, we can make fun of the world. They're scared of death. But we ought not to be. We've met the one who conquered death. And we ought to go tell them that they can be saved. You see, what the church needs to have is a heart of compassion again. What is a bruised reed? A bruised reed is a piece of grass that has been stepped on to the point that it's been broken, but it's still together enough. But one more small step would break it. It's it's a weakened weakness. It's a, it's a, a little piece of grass that's bent over and broken. What is a smoking flax? It's the last little ember of flame. Just so fragile that too harsh of a breath would extinguish it. What is a broken reed, a bruised reed, and a smoking flax? It's a woman who's been so crushed by life that she's coming to a well by herself. And one harsh word extinguishes the flame forever. And it's a man who sat with her and just gently brought life back. He just gently restored a broken heart. You know, can I tell you that the anger of man will never win the world to Christ? You can preach in an angry spirit, but the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. We can be angry at the world, but there are broken people. I remember when God called our family to Mississippi, it was a church in trouble. They'd run 1,000 at one time and they were down to about 80 people. In every service for the chapel, they were fighting over the bylaws. F- I mean fights. First Sunday that my wife and I visited there, I was just preaching Valentine banquets and I spoke in church on Sunday. I didn't even know they didn't have a pastor. I noticed in the church bulletin to pray for Mrs. Bird and her three children. They had just lost her husband and their father. And I made a note of that, and we prayed for them. They called us back to candidate, and we were going through that process. And we got into a question and answer with the church. And one man in the back of the room stood up. And he said, if you become pastor of this church, you're going to go by these bylaws? I said, well, are those the official voted on bylaws of Central Baptist Church? Yes, they are. I mean, they're duly voted. Those are the official bylaws that you hold in your hand. Yes, they are. I said, okay. Uh, Is Mrs. Bird in the room? She raised her hand over here. I said, Mrs. Bird, my wife and I have been praying for you and your children. I said, can I ask you a very personal question in front of this crowd? She said, okay. I said, has he ever come to visit you? She said, no. I said, I'll tell you what, man. I'll make you a deal. You vote me in as pastor and I'll go by the bylaws and you go by the widows. I said, but don't you know that there are people with cancer and hard hearts? They don't need to hear you fighting. They need the hope of the gospel. You know, Jesus wasn't a wild man. His cry was not heard in the street. He wasn't a weirdo. Jesus wasn't some psycho. Listen, we, I think we've taken the verse too, too seriously about he, we're peculiar people. <laughs> Let me tell you what that means. It doesn't mean that we're weird. Peculiar means it's a diamond in a coal mine. It stands out. It's something in the darkness of life that has value. The Bible calls Jesus the friend of sinners. The Bible tells us in 2 Timothy 2, the servant of the Lord must not strive. You know, Jesus went about with a tear in his eye. He went about with gentleness in his word. He was kind, he was gracious, he was courteous. He was easy to be entreated. He spoke the truth in love. Jesus wasn't walking around snarling at people. He wasn't certainly at funerals holding up signs about how God hates people in their sin. He wasn't up behind the pulpit, just railing on all his pet peeves. I believe tonight we need some compassion. I'll say this lastly and I'm done tonight. Amen. Look at this. I love this. Look at verse number 20. At the very end of the verse, it said that he would do this until he sends forth judgment unto victory and his in his name shall the gentiles trust how many gentiles we got in here tonight let me tell you what jesus walked around in in all of his compassion with his commission with his companion the holy spirit he walked around with a confidence that victory was coming he didn't walk around as a loser he walked around in victory. He walked around in confidence that God had given the word and the Gentiles would come to know it and they would trust it and he would bring multitudes of them to glory and that he would build his church and had he, he saw you in that verse. He saw me in that verse. He was confident of this very thing that the gospel was going to go forth into all the world in power and great glory. Can I tell you something, church? We need to get the Paul attitude and the Jesus attitude. And we ought to walk around today and say, the thanks be unto God who causes us always to triumph in Christ. For faith is the victory that overcomes the world. Listen, we're on the winning side. We have the victory. There are souls coming to glory. The gospel works. It is the power of God to salvation. And when you walk in the power of the gospel, you can be confident of this very thing. It will have its perfect work and it will bring forth fruit and that fruit will remain beyond the grave, beyond this world, into the heavens, and it will last forever and ever and ever and ever. Amen. Amen. I want to leave you with this last verse, Colossians 1, 28 and 29. Paul said, whom we preach, warning every man. Don't you stop preaching it until you've warned every man in your city. Until every woman in your town, every boy in your town, every house in your town has been warned about their doom in this world. Until every man has been taught in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. There is a force greater than all the forces of hell against us. And that is the force of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we've been entrusted with it. And we have it, and we get to preach it, and we get to spread it, and we get the privilege that we have been called to this, to go proclaim it. And I want to say to all of us as we leave tonight, let us go in the confidence and the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is coming. He is coming. He is coming. So let's get going.